0: Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good Good to have you in person. Uh, If you're in person, there are a ton of kids downstairs. It was really nice to walk through that a little bit earlier ago and uh, see kids back in this place like crazy. So uh, thanks for trusting our team down there. They do an amazing, amazing job. Thanks to everybody who's online. I know we have people all over the world that join us on Sunday mornings. And so thank you for being a part of the journey on this wonderful, beautiful Sunday. I'm going to share a secret with you. Uh, This goes back to my high school days. Yes, uh uh-oh, that's a good word to use. Um, When I was a senior, I was voted the nicest senior male in my high school class. Nobody's like, good for you, buddy. That's a death sentence when you're in high school, did you know that? This is a big school. I mean, there's about 400-some people in our graduating class. The, the girl who won, the nicest senior female, she broke her leg a couple of weeks before that playing soccer. And so uh, they thought that was a part of the school newspaper, so it may have been my idea. Like, why don't I pick her up and hold her in my arms and you guys take a picture of it? And so that's what nice people do, right? And uh, so that's in my house somewhere. I didn't want to take time to go look for it and embarrass myself even further. But anyway, uh, so that was one thing. There was another award I, I won my senior year a couple months earlier. Cheerleaders were traveling to uh, one of our varsity basketball games, and they were talking about the senior dudes, and they voted, and I won another competition. Uh, I won the guy they would most like to marry, but not date. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's why I've been in counseling for those many decades. Hey, when you're a senior in, uh, in high school, um, you don't want to be noticed in that way, right? Uh, you you, you want to fit in. You want to be like everyone else. You wanna, don't want to be known as the nicest senior male in your high school. Uh, you don't want to be known as the guy that the girls want to marry but, but not date. And so I would look at all these other guys and I would kind of think to myself, I want to be like you. Like I I want to be a little tougher, a little more edgy. Um, I want to be nice, but I don't want to be that nice where everybody knows and votes on you in this way. I I wanted to be that guy, right? I I didn't want to be this guy. I I wanted to be more like them. But what was this thing? What what was this this creature that was within me at that time that was uh, trying to unleash itself as I kind of looked at where I was and where these people were? Well, I think that Shakespeare puts it best in Othello. When Iago says this to Othello, he says, Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. I just did that in my best old English, by the way. I don't know if you guys caught that there, but that was in there somewhere. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yes, you guys can give me all those positive feedback. They would be great. Anyway, um, Today we continue our series called The Creature Within, and we're going to talk about this green-eyed monster of of jealousy. Uh, And I'll give you kind of a recap of where we've been. We've been talking about the heart. Uh, we've talked about how the, the creature within us is our heart, and Jesus even talks about this. Jesus says, hey, whatever comes out of your mouth, it comes from your heart. That, that whatever you do and how you live your life, when it defiles you and who you are, it's because it comes from your heart, that there's this creature deep down inside of us. And too often it shows it, its its ugly head. And one of those places that we find this, Daniel talked about guilt last week, is in this, this area of, of jealousy. Now, if you're like me, when you hear that word jealousy, what you think back to is 1989 Gen. Blossom song, "Hey Jealousy," right? Because that's kind of what we think about, right? Jealousy's not that big a deal. Je- Jealousy's back in, in my middle school years, high school, college. It was about petty stuff. It was about boyfriends and girlfriends, and maybe the college someone was going to go to, or the cars that, that they drove, or the clothing that they wore. Because we, we kind of look at jealousy as, as, as not an issue that any of us face or struggle with, and yet the reality is it's still with us today. Because if you were to stop and you were to think about your life right now, here's what you'd find. You'd find jealousy. The jealousy is all over your life. You think about the possessions that other people have. You, you think about the relationships that, that people are in. You think about positions at work. You, you think about even people's spiritual lives, spiritual lives. We have all kinds of jealousy that is that is running through our, our blood. And again, it starts there with our heart. But what is jealousy? Jealousy is actually a resentment towards someone for a perceived advantage or superiority they hold. Basically, we see what someone else has, we, we see who they are, and we think in our own minds that they are better than me. Now, what that means is we're trying to view our world through someone else's lives. That when we look at them, we, we see differences there, and they're, they're better than us. And, and again, possessions, relationships, spiritual life, whatever it may be in their life. And, and the reason we get to this place is because we compare ourselves to them and we're not content. All right, let me talk about both of those just briefly. You know, jealousy is there because, again, we compare ourselves to others. I think this is one of the biggest faults that every single one of us struggle with, that we are always comparing what what I have to to what you have. Again, this covers everything from looks to clothing to homes to jobs to bank accounts to relationships, marriage, dating, parenting, to friendships, to personality, to characteristics, to strengths. I mean, we we could continue to add to this list. And all we do is we compare ourselves to other people. But here's the problem when we do that. When we look at ourselves, do you know what we see? We see our weaknesses. We see our struggles. We see our flaws. And so all that we see in ourselves are all of these these negatives. And so as we see these negatives in ourselves and then we look at someone else, what we see in them are their perceived strengths. And so we're kind of this uneven playing field because we're kind of down here as we look at our weaknesses. And they're up here in the, their strengths, again, perceived strengths. And, and for us, we compare ourselves to what they have and what, they, they, what we don't have. And so in the end, we end up defining our self-worth based on kind of where we fall within that, that space that is there. And so one of the ways that we come up with this green-eyed monster of jealousy is that we compare ourselves to other people. But the other part is we're never content. Uh, We look at what someone else has. You know, first we compare what we have to them. And then when we're not the same or when we're not better than them, we're not content with what we have. A great example of this is if you've got kids and multiple kids here, you've been around multiple kids in your home, and maybe it's dessert time. So you go to the freezer, you pull out the ice cream, you get the bowls out, and you put the ice cream in, and you put it in front of the kids. What is the first thing those kids do every single time? Do They don't just start eating it, right? They look in the other bowl. They look in the other bowl because they're going to compare. They're going to see, do I have the same amount as they, if they do? And if I don't, and again, whether perceived or reality, they're going to say, that's not fair. You gave them more than you gave me. Those words really don't change over time. Uh, even as adults, we still say those same words. Maybe not out loud, but we're thinking them. We we look at what someone else has. We look at where we are, and we come back after that comparison, and we're like, "That's not fair." Uh, we always want what others have. We always want more than they have. We're never content with where we are. So the comparisons, not being content, all of these things—they lead us to this place. jealousy we see this actually play out in a story a parable Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 it's the prodigal son Uh, the prodigal son probably everybody in this room has heard of it or knows it to some degree maybe even pretty well Uh, even people outside of the church maybe even never been to church are familiar with this story we hear it used quite a bit in in many different areas but let me kind of give you a little recap before we get to the part we're going to read there's a dad He's got two sons, and his youngest son comes to him and is like, Dad, I'm tired of doing the dishes. I'm tired of keeping my room clean. I'm tired of cleaning my bathroom. I'm tired of taking out the trash. I'm tired of listening to everything you have to say to me. I'm out of here. So what I want you to do is I want you to give me my inheritance so I can take that, and I can go live my life. Well, as we read the story, we find the dad gives him his inheritance, and the son leaves. He goes to the big city. He's got all this money, and he starts to spend it. He's going to the fine restaurants. He's going to the best clubs, and he starts throwing these parties, and and all these people, man, they just love him to death because he's spending his money on them. Well, at some point in time, the money runs out. He didn't have any more money left. The famine hits. Uh, Those people and parties, uh, they're all gone. They're not there for him anymore, and so he ends up working at a pig farm, Now, if you're Jewish and you have pigs, I mean, and you're working with these pigs, this was against the the Jewish law. You weren't even supposed to be close to them or touch them. You couldn't eat them. And yet this is where he finds himself. I mean, he's in the lowest point of his life. And as he thinks about what he's experiencing there, he he thinks back to his dad and he thinks back to uh, the servants that are working for his dad. And he's like, they've got it better than me. I'm going to go back home and I'm just going to tell my dad, hey, I just want to be a servant. I don't want to be in my position in the home anymore. I I just want to be a servant. And so he decides to leave. He heads home, and as he's heading home, his dad sees him because his dad's been waiting on him. His dad's waiting on him. He sees him. He runs to him. He grabs him. He embraces him. He tells him that he loves him. And then here's what we find takes place as we look at Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 22. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. If you were to put yourself into the place of this father right here, I'm guessing many of us this is not the homecoming we would have given the son i'm guessing for some of us we'd have been angry we would have been disappointed there'd been hurt there and resentment we may have even told him to not come back and yet what does this dad do he treats him like an honored guest he gives him gifts he throws this this party because why his his lost son's been found his lost son has come home and so the dad's like let's celebrate Now, as we read the story, and again, this is a parable Jesus tells, this tends to be where we like to stop telling the story. And there's a ton there. There's a lot right there. But I want to kind of continue on because there's sort of the second half to the story that I think is important and definitely pertinent for the day. Look at verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Then he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. One of the things I like to do is I like to ask us to put ourselves into what we read here in scripture because it really changes sort of the way we view things, I think. We, we don't just read it for the words, but we can kind of immerse ourselves into the moments that are happening. So I, I want you to do that right here with this oldest son. I want you to kind of put yourself into the place of this, this oldest kid. You didn't go anywhere, right? You, you stayed home. Maybe you had some of the same thoughts your younger brother did, but, but you didn't act out on them. You, you continued to, to work in the field. You, you continued to, to lead as you were supposed to lead. You continued to be a good son. And yet one day you come home from work and you hear this loud music playing Uh, You you hear dancing, which when I think about that here in dancing, all I can think, maybe they were doing clogging, right? I mean, that may have been, if you're from Kentucky and North Carolina, you understand that. If you're not from those places, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, but it it was loud. There was a party that's going on, and and in your mind, you're thinking, what is happening here? Well, why is Dad throwing a party? Maybe somebody showed up that I didn't know about, and he's throwing a party for them. Now, as we we look through this, again, we're kind of getting these cliff notes, but But as this brother's walking up, I can only think back to what it was like when his younger brother left. Maybe the words that he was thinking. uh, Maybe he called him a dumb brother, okay? Uh, Maybe he called him an idiot brother. Uh, Maybe he used even worse words that we couldn't use in a place like this. Because he took this inheritance and, and he left home and he left him there to do all this work. So here's this older brother who has all this extra work to do, but he, he's been true to his dad. He's been true to what's happening there. He's probably wondering still, he's probably wondering why does dad every day walk to the horizon to look for this brother who's already left him and taken all of his, his money. But he hears this music, he hears the dancing, and he's having a conversation with a servant. And the servant tells him, your dad killed the fattened calf. Uh, the fattened calf was a calf that you would fatten up by feeding it a bunch of junk, right? So it would be nice and big when it was time for special guests or honored guests to come. You could have a, a great feast. And so, again, you, you're this older brother, and you're thinking, why would you do that? He's a traitor. He, he left home. He took all of his inheritance. He's, he's spent it all. He's, he's lived this crazy life, and yet you're treating him this way. What we see in this older brother it is the green-eyed monster of jealousy. Here's what we read next, verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And we read those words, and we can really see that that creature within, uh, that, that green-eyed monster of jealousy is deep down this older brother's heart. I mean, look, again, look what he says here. He's like, Dad, I've slave for you. I've done all you've asked me to do. I've done more because when he left, there was so much more that had to be done. I've done everything that you've, you've told me to do since he's been gone. And, and yet, here's the deal. You never even gave me a small goat so that I could have a party with my friends. But look what else he, he says there. He keeps on, he calls him this son of yours. And notice he doesn't say my brother. He says your son. And you know what your son's done. He's, he's wasted everything he gave you. And yet as I, I look at him now, you're, you're celebrating who he is. If you're the older son, you're full of anger, bitterness, resentment. Because you're looking at your younger brother, and you have this perception that he is getting these advantages that that you never got and, and aren't getting right there in this moment. He's, he's comparing himself with his younger brother, and it's causing this, this bitterness and, and anger that's there. And again, all these are signs of jealousy. But then look at the father's response, verse 31. It says, his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now... He's found. This older brother, he wasn't content. Dad's like, hey, you have everything that you could ever ask for, everything you can need. He he says, everything I have is here is yours. And, And truthfully, that was the case because the younger brother had taken a third of the inheritance, which would have been his for being the younger brother. The older brother had the rest of the inheritance. So literally everything that this dad owns is this older son's stuff. And he's like, this is all yours. But yet he still wasn't content because of this perceived idea of things not being fair between him and the younger brother. As I read these words right here, I kind of wonder in my mind, did, did this conversation with dad, did it, did it change his attitude? Did, did it change his view of his younger brother? Again, putting herself into the story. Or well, more than likely, because I know me and maybe we're alike, would we continue to harbor hate and anger and resentment toward our younger brother? Uh, even though we had this conversation with dad, did, did jealousy still rule our, our life? Did did this guy, did he ever get over this this jealousy is there? or Or did he actually see what was most important? Or again, was that green-eyed monster of jealousy, that creature within, was it just had just overtaken his heart. As we think about this story and as we kind of put ourselves into the place of this older son, it makes me wonder, can we move on from jealousy? Can we stop comparing ourselves to others? Can we be content with who we are and where we are and, and what we have? And if not, what can we do about it? What kind of steps can we take to begin to kind of change that behavior and that emotion? How can we take over and get rid of this creature that's within us, this creature of jealousy? Well, I got three ideas, three thoughts, maybe steps that we can take that I think can help us when it comes to something like jealousy. The first one I would say is this. Accept who I am. Accept who I am. I think I've shared this statistic before a while back. 77% of what you and i think about is negative negative. 77 percent out of everything that you and i think about in our minds is negative think about that that's like almost eight out of every 10 thoughts that you and i have on a daily basis are negative thoughts and if you're a washington football team it's like 10 out of 10 things you think about are <laughs> negative but we're kind of conditioned to think that way, right? We're conditioned to be negative, to think negative, and we do that. In fact, here's kind of an example I want you to think through, um, because that negativity has an influence on how we see ourselves. If I were to ask you all a simple question, please don't answer this out loud, but if I were to ask you a simple question like, tell me about your body, almost every single one of you would tell me something negative about your body you would tell me about something about you that you don't really like about your, your body. You're going to share with me your perceived flaws. You're going to say, hey, I don't really like my stomach. You know, I don't like my weight. I don't like my height. Uh, my ears are a little off kilter. My nose is a little crooked. I'm bald. I mean, there's all these things that you and I would look at ourselves because when you ask that question, that's automatically where we go. And you know what, when it comes to jealousy, it's the exact same thing. What we begin to do is we go to our negatives. We, we begin to look at ourselves and we see all these flaws and struggles and weaknesses that we have. But then we look at someone else and we're like, hey, I'm, I'm not as smart as, as he is. Or, or my body's not as perfect as, as hers. Or our bank account's not as big as theirs. And so we get lost in all these places of negativity as we look at their perceived positives in their life here's the issue here the reason we're jealous of others is that we're really looking at ourselves first and what i'm saying when i'm jealous of other people is that i don't accept me i don't accept me because all i see in myself are my failures All I see in myself are my weaknesses. All I see in myself are my flaws. And now I'm trying to define myself through someone else. But that's not what God's looking at. God God doesn't care about the appearances that are there. God cares about what's in the heart. God God cares about how we see ourselves and and who we truly are deep down. In um, the book of Samuel, we have a story where we're looking for a new king of Israel, and God goes to the prophet Samuel and is like, hey, Samuel, um, I need you to go to Jesse's house. He's got a bunch of kids, a bunch of boys, and I, I want one of them to be king. And So I want you to go find this new king for me. I'll help you out. Well, Samuel gets there, and he meets like the very first kid, and the kid's tall, and good-looking, and muscular, all those kind of things. And, and Samuel thinks, this is the guy. But here's God's response to Samuel in 1 Samuel sixteen seven. God says, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We get caught up in outward appearances. We, we get caught up in possessions and posi, pos, positions in the, the, the work world. We, we get caught up in the relationships that we see people have. We get caught up there, and God's like, hey, don't compare yourself there. What, I'm most, what I most want to see is what's deep down inside you. I want to see where your heart is. Because again, what defiles us comes from the heart, but what makes us good comes from the heart too. And so one of the first things I believe we have to learn to do is to accept ourselves, accept me for who I, I am. That means my flaws, that means my, my weaknesses, but it also means my strengths and abilities that I have. We have to begin by stop comparing ourselves and begin to accept who we are. Here's the second piece I would say to this is appreciate who they are. Not, not only accept who you are, but appreciate who, who they are. Uh, here at the church and our staff, we really work to have a coaching model in place for our staff as, as we lead a, other people. But uh, one of the things that we find, and, and this is probably true in your work world, too, but, you know, you go to a meeting and, and you kind of ask, like, hey, how are things going? Same thing here, you, you know, you go and you meet with a ministry leader, you know, one of our other coaches and key leaders, and, and the first question you ask is, what's going on in your ministry area? If that were the question we were asked, almost every single time the first answer that comes out is negative, right? And Maybe you've been in, in meetings like that at work. You ask, hey, how are things going on this project? Everybody just starts to list all the terrible things that are going on. But that's kind of the way, again, when 8 out of 10 thoughts are negative, that's the way we think about things. We we focus on negative things. We we focus on on the bad. Even if good things are going on, we we go straight to those things that that aren't perfect. In our coaching model, what we do, we don't ask what are the challenges or what's not working or, hey, tell us about your ministry area. The question we ask is what are you celebrating? Because that totally changes the dynamics of the conversation. Because you come into that conversation, you've got like 77 negative things you want to talk about, and someone comes to you and, like, hey, we're, just kind of put those aside. We want to talk about the positive things. What are the things you're celebrating in your ministry area? What are, what are the good things that are happening? Always catches people off guard because nobody's ready to have that conversation. But then you sit there and you begin to talk and you begin to think through it, and it's like, well, this is going on, and had this conversation. I see this happening in their life, and we've got these leaders in place, and they're connecting over here. And, man, there are a lot of good things happening. When we begin to celebrate the good do you know what happens to that list of negative things it's actually not that big there might be one or two challenges we need to work on but we focus on the good we actually see the good and when we look at this list of negative things like well, things really aren't as bad as i think they are it's the same thing when it comes to something like like jealousy so what if instead of hate and resentment and anger we started celebrating the people that we're jealous of. Instead of being focused on perceived unfairness or things that you may say that you don't have, what if we began to focus on what they do have? Well, what if we began to, to be okay with where they were in, in their life? What if we began to celebrate who they are in their life and, and the strengths and abilities and the skills that they have and the relationships and possessions? What if we... What if we celebrated that? It doesn't mean you have to have a fattened calf and throw a big party for them. But, but maybe it's just being okay with that. Maybe it is at some point saying, hey, you know what? Man, you're gifted in that area. and I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate that. I look up to that. When we begin to celebrate, it really changes how we view other people that we are comparing ourselves towards. And if we're a follower of Christ, we're called to love people unconditionally. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Paul is writing these words and saying, this is what it looks like to celebrate other people. That you love them unconditionally. You love them fully. That as he says there, you don't have any envy. You don't have any jealousy that's a part of who you are. You can't love others when you have jealousy. So here's Paul saying, hey, this is how we appreciate who other people are. We love them. We, We celebrate them. We accept who we are and we appreciate those that maybe two days ago we were jealous of. And that would really begin to get rid of this green-eyed monster that's deep down inside of us. And then lastly, I would say be content with what God has given you. Uh, Astrid Alada said, I spent most of my life walking under that hovering cloud jealousy whose acid raindrops blurred my vision and burned holes in my heart. Uh, So much of our jealousy comes from this lack of contentment, that our our jealousy of others, it blurs our vision, it it burns these holes in, in our hearts and We see what others have, and we want the same for us. And that's why I love these words from Paul in Philippians 4. He says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can be jealous. Uh, me personally, I can be a jealous person. I can be jealous of my friends who are pastors of other churches. I, I can be jealous of other churches. I can be jealous of people I don't even know who are pastors of other churches. I mean, it's very easy for us to find ourselves kind of rolling into that area. But I can also be jealous of my neighbors. I, I can be jealous of family members and, and friends. I can be jealous of you and And what that really means is I'm just not content. And if I'm at that place, I'm not content with what's in my heart. And so I have two options. I can continue to be jealous. I can continue to let that creature within me kind of get its tentacles all over my life and my actions and words, my behavior, my thoughts, all would be there. And I'd be angry and resentful and and disgusted with people. I mean, all these feelings would be there. Or, as Paul says here, I can find the contentment I need through Jesus. And I can find that contentment because Jesus gives me the strength I need to live my life. And I can find that contentment whether I've got a bunch of stuff or, man, I've got nothing, whether my stomach's full or my my stomach's empty, that I can find the contentment that I need in my life when I fully put my trust and my faith and following Jesus. Can you look at your life your skills, your abilities, your strengths, your possessions, can you say today, like, hey, I'm, I'm content? Like, I get it. You, you may not fully be where you want to be. Maybe you have some dreams you want to live out. You, you have some stuff you want to work on. But, but like, like Paul says, no matter what happens, no, no, no matter the, the, the weaknesses we may perceive in ourselves, the flaws and struggles that may be there, no matter where we are, that we can have this place where we are actually content, even though we may not be fully where we want to be. Well, that contentment, it only comes through the strength that we find through fully following Jesus Christ. Because we can go through life angry and mad and bitter, resentful jealous, we can let that green-eyed monster of jealousy take over, or we can say, no matter what, I'm going to put this faith and trust in Jesus. To get there, we have to accept who we are, we celebrate who they are, and we can find that contentment when we give our lives fully to Jesus and let Jesus give us that strength we need to not be people that are jealous. It takes me back to the prayer. I asked us to be praying every single day. I hope you've been able to do that. It's quick and easy. It comes out of Psalm 5110. It really is. God created me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What are you jealous of? Who are you jealous of? Why are you jealous of them? Oh, you know what? One of the best ways we can start to begin to work through that, I think, is to pray that prayer. God, create in me a pure heart. And help me to get rid of the screen eyed monster of jealousy that too often I find deep down in my heart.